Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 291 for the first time in a few months is from Kana Rintz and Lace Records, Thomas Quilfelt. Hi there. Welcome back. Uh, Tom's brought a few selections for us. And as usual, we've got a few of your picks from the forum as well. com slash forum is the place to request those. And yeah, as ever, we've got a fairly eclectic mix of stuff. Most of Tom's picks are relatively recent, which is cool. Some fairly, uh, yeah, not obscure, but from stuff that you might not have played that hasn't, you know, games that aren't necessarily part of the uh, the the main conversation. Oh God, Leon, circles. are you calling me a hipster? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, that's fine. We can be a hipster show. It's the hipster. Is it, I mean, no, not not at all. It's uh, <laughs> we've played that the whole point about cane and rinse and sound of play is that you know we just enjoy good stuff from wherever it comes. Um, and yeah, in this case, we've got uh, we've already heard our first track from a game which I was hitherto unaware of, which is uh, is some kind of CCG kind of thing, signs of the Sojourner. Yeah, I don't know much about it. I only know the yeah. soundtrack, and I only yep. know the soundtrack because Kate Remington of uh, Level... Oh, was it Emily? No, it was Emily. I do apologise. It was Emily Reese of uh, Level with Emily podcast, who she interviews plenty of the big video game composers. You should totally check out that podcast. Um, th- she went on a- another show and said, oh, this soundtrack was absolutely brilliant and uh, uh, chilling her out. And I checked it out and it is an absolute, uh, the whole thing is just uh, a work of genius. It's a soundtrack so good. It will make you interested in the game. I haven't played the game yet. It's on the backlog list to kind of check out one time. Um, I'm not really a card guy deck builder guy so i don't know if i'd dive straight for it but i wouldn't have heard of it at all i think um, people were raving i think austin walker was saying very nice things about the game itself so it might be one of those indie casualties last year that didn't get the you know the level of attention of something like a hades um they seem to fly by now don't they every year there's a there's a sort of small uh, short or long list of of indie games uh, that they get overlooked of um, course yeah there is so much stuff you can't possibly play everything no one even as enthusiastic as they <laughs> may be like uh, us here at cane and rinse uh, this is a game that <clears throat> has a very positive rating currently from users on steam but it only has 63 people who have actually given it a rating which suggests yeah it, it's been overlooked yeah and i think the interesting thing that i've noticed in recent years is that a really high quality soundtrack, usually by an individual who's just sort of a really good musician who is moving into games and wants to try something, mm. is a really good marketing tool. Honestly, you know, I don't know if there might be a few thousand more people that have heard of this game because the soundtrack is so good. Yes. Um, Steve Pardo. Um, mm. I don't know anything about him particularly. I do know that he used real instruments on the soundtrack and found sounds and and hardware and sort of made a real effort to to create something unique this sort of folk jazz you might risk calling it world musicy uh i suppose but it's just a really fantastic sound really high quality recording as well like you could play this to anybody outside of video games and say look here's just some fantastic music um so, so yeah, and that actually tends to typify the, the tracks I brought today. They are all very recent for the most part. And they are for, all from indie games. Um, and I guess that's just that must just be how I'm feeling at the moment. Maybe I'm just sure. not, not feeling very retro. In or my, AAA. In yeah. my ga- or AAA in my game music listening. And, Absolutely, no problem. Um, maybe there's a slight hipster temptation to kind of like be, well, there's no point bringing a super Metroid track or whatever on sound of play, because that's, that's already been covered and the community requests that, you know, they will, they will cover that as well. Um, so maybe yeah. I do feel a bit of a, you know, 
obligation to. shining light on some hidden gems yeah kind of yeah why not why not absolutely it's a shame i can't shine a light on the game because i haven't touched it <laughs> no uh, it's fine it uh yeah as i say uh it when you do a show like sound of play you can't possibly it's again it's it's impossible to have played every single game that from you know that you want to feature a track from um it's just the way of the world but yeah for those who are interested in a ccg with a lovely soundtrack signs of the sojourner sojourner in the french um, is available on PC and Mac uh, via Steam if you want. I think it's also out on Switch because everything they usually, everything <laughs> almost, almost everything like this is. Yeah, so search your eShops. Interspersing, as usual, we have some selections from the community and we're going to start with, I believe, somebody who hasn't picked a piece for us before, someone called Necromass from the forum, who says, with Bravely Default 2 on the horizon, actually out now at the time of recording and you listening, and Revo, I think is the pronunciation, of Sound Horizon back to do the music, I thought it would be a good idea to remind people just how amazing the soundtrack for the first game is. I remember on a previous podcast, you guys talked about the music really punching above its weight class for a 3DS title, and I couldn't agree more. And yes, the tracks do still sound surprisingly good on the little handheld speakers. Music is woven deeply into the game, with each character having a special move theme with an instrumental solo unique to their personality that the player is strongly encouraged to pay attention to because the stacking buffs you obtain from using your moves will actually run out the movement the, so- the moment the solo ends. This that we're going to hear is an epic orchestra meets rock track to rival the likes of the famous Dancing Mad theme from Final Fantasy VI, one of Tom's previous picks, I believe. It stands on its own just fine, but fans of the game will catch that it starts out with melodies borrowing from previous battle themes, ramping up in intensity to sell the sense of dread. But then, at the most climactic moment, the solos from each character, each of the characters' special move themes comes in, giving players an empowering rush, saying, you can beat this, before finally closing out with a teasing reference to the victory fanfare. Yeah, listen out for all that stuff, and maybe if you've played the game before, you'll know what's coming. But this is known in the English as Serpent Eating the Ground from Bravely Default.
by Revo or Revo, I guess Revo, a Japanese artist and or conglomerate, possibly uh, from Silicon Studios, Bravely Default, which uh, although they did put out a sequel in short order, Bravely Second, apparently nobody at the studio was particularly happy with that one. Uh, so that, hence them essentially starting the sequel chain all over again by making a game called Bravely Default 2 and releasing it on the Switch some eight years, uh, nine years even after the uh, 2012 original. I still have Bravely Default sitting on my shelf. It's been nine years. Uh, <laughs> you know. It is half of a brilliant game. It is. A, it, it makes such a good first impression. Mm. Um, the, the graphics are beautiful for the 3DS. The yeah. music sounds fantastic through those stereo speakers. Yeah. And it's so full. It's, it's like, so um, with Octopath Traveler, and I think Square Enix, the composers around Square Enix and the music people mm. have now really absolutely nailed, I think, modernizing what, you know, the template laid down by Uematsu and Shugiyama and the sort of JRPG granddaddies music wise. And um, there's just been some absolutely blinding soundtracks the last couple of years just totally amazing uh xenogear xenoblade chronicles 2 octopath traveler um i thought final fantasy uh, uh, brave exvius was fantastic oh yeah uh people rave about the the final fantasy 14 stuff just 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 thousands of tracks of really yeah. high quality really well made the genshin impact one's brilliant i know that's not japan that's china but so, so i think what uh but but Bravely Default did that as well. I don't know much about the composer. I do remember trying to mm. research him, them, she, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. Revo, I would <laughs> refer to. I think it's a single composer with other musicians um, doing recordings and stuff. But I don't know much about it. But I really love this soundtrack. It sounds fantastic on 3DS. And it helps make an incredibly good first impression of the game. The writing's funny. The The... Um, kind of animation of the towns as you walk around them are really uh, incredible. The characters are quite cute until it gets into some creepy uh, uh, ladies undressed stuff later. Oh, right. But standard. The the tragic thing with this game is they, I don't know whether they ran out of money, they ran out of ideas. Whether it's a they made a big play of you you go around the world map, you do all the locations as you might expect to do, and then. I, <sighs> I don't know. It's kind of like a reverse spoiler. It's like I want to warn people that the back <laughs> half of this game is a a real trudge, like a grindy, oh. nightmarish trudge that I just hated. The it's idea. Like Xenogears all over again. <laughs> yeah, they just they go past the excess uh, of of reusing assets to just make you play the same game again, not more than once. Right, wow. it is like the near automata scenario B times, yeah. but you have to do it five more times. But it, without, does the narrative <laughs> still move on? I assume in some. I way? can't remember. Not no, in an interesting okay. way, as I recall. And so, yeah. and 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 I watched the final boss on YouTube. And do you ever get that thing where you have to watch an ending on YouTube, and it feels slightly divorced from the experience you had of the game? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like 
it's like yeah. it's, I try like to avoid a, watching endings on YouTube. Generally, well, yeah, but. I mean, sometimes you sometimes you gotta uh, uh, if yeah. you're just done with a game like Persona Four, I had to I jump ahead. But um, so so yeah, so this is a fantastic final boss theme by the sounds of it. But unfortunately, I I didn't hear it in game because I just I felt so <laughs> just offended by the design uh, choices, and I can only imagine that I don't know what was going through their head that, that they made it for time or for money reasons and i think that's that, interesting because yeah. apparently that's the criticism most often leveled even internally at bravely second because the first one was so popular they kind of rushed out the second one so given how even internally they're not happy with the second one wow that um yeah that says something hopefully uh i, I mean the reviews for the new one have been decent you know sort of eight out of ten or thereabouts on average uh, by the way, Revo is uh, one man, Yasuo Kamanaka from uh, from Japan, uh, a very handsome looking multi-instrumentalist. Um, he's incredible. He's in- he's absolutely incredible. And unfortunately, I think he, he's been largely overlooked because... He's contributed to fan- Final Fantasy yeah. and uh, I think this is his best known solo work. Well, like point. Yasunori Nishiki and there's various others, Agamatsu, there's there's just some insane talent around now. Yeah. Um, that uh, and they they do you know the final fantasy soundtracks are so vast with the say they're all the 15 dlcs and they can just bring in hundreds of people to final fantasy 14 or whatever that that they all get a kind of a pop but um Rev- revo didn't do the bravely second soundtrack and it is really not as good um frankly if i remember correctly it's been a while mm. since i listened to them now back over to uh europe i think yes is that right? Yes, I think he's European, isn't he? Um, and the game is European. Arise, a simple story, a piccolo studio somewhere in the West. I don't I know about the studio. Um, I assume David Garcia Diaz is Spanish or of Spanish heritage. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think he works at Ninja Theory. He's audio um, director at Ninja Theory now. Yeah. yeah. So he'll be yeah. heading up um, Hellblade 2. He did the score for Hellblade 1, which is very, very different to... Yeah. Um, the score I know his work mostly from, which is Rhyme, which was that kind of um, oh, yeah. eco-clone-ish thing that had development troubles and then eventually came out and was pretty good. Some people like love it. I quite liked it, but it's it falls down a bit, the puzzles. But his, his score is so incredible for that mm. game. It is just, the melodies just st- stun me. And for ages, I was desperate to know when he was going to do something like that next and i was trying to track this score down for ages and when it finally hit um my music platform i just devoured it and it is a a firm firm favorite um and this track uh uh lullaby over the lake is very short um there's much longer tracks gorgeous gorgeous uh romantic orchestral stuff uh, led by piano on that on the album if you like that kind of schmaltzy stuff it is such mm. such a beautiful soundtrack i don't know uh, I, again i haven't played the game i i maybe one day intend in to i understand that it's kind of a one of those indie games that's going for that kind of bittersweet romance yeah. kind of out of chronological order story that's supposed to kind of rip your heart into shreds and, and leave you sobbing on the floor by the end of it. Something like To the Moon or maybe Brothers or something like that, you know, kind of 
um, sobbing uh, adventure story. Um, but this, yeah, the, again, the music for me l- l- has left the game and, and become the the piece of art that I've enjoyed mm. from it. Um, and for my money, he's one of the best. He's 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 one of the very better melodists um, in the industry, alongside you know your kind of Gareth Coker's or your David Hosden's or Jessica Curry's. Um, just exquisite stuff. That was From Arise, A Simple Story, Lullaby Over the Lake by David Garcia Diaz. And yes, it's a Spanish studio, Piccolo. Uh, I'm guessing that even though it doesn't... Oh, yes, no, wait, there's a map. It's Barcelona. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Uh, er- everyone there, um, based on the uh, the team page on their website, uh, is Spanish. Cool. Spanish devs. Now we have something that is old but also recent... Requested by Code Monkey, all caps, from the forum. The Nintendo Giga Leak has allowed the fans to restore the original soundtrack to Super Mario World by reverse engineering it. Koji Kondo's original vision on the soundtrack before all the compression and sound chips of the Super Nintendo were used to squeeze it into the cartridge. This is the Super Mario World Overworld theme restored in all its glory with crisper sound and greater range than ever before. Kudos to the Brickster, just simply stunning. Well, we're playing with fire here, of course, although the, the piece of music is still up on YouTube. Um, Nintendo's apparent supposed massive crackdown on their content being available on YouTube seems to have, um, I don't know if it's slowed or stopped or they just or they just haven't got round to this yet. But um, yeah, this is this is from that. And here it is. 
the famous Overworld restored version from Koji Kondo, written, I guess, in about 1989 or thereabouts for 1990s. Maybe he wrote it earlier the year the game came out. I don't know, but um, always a lovely piece. But yeah, I've never heard it quite like that before. Now, some people, I saw some people sort of debating whether is this how it should have always sounded or actually is the version that was on the cartridge kind of the canon version in a way it's uh <laughs> hipsters, it's a sort of <laughs> sounds like a really yeah, hipster well, conversation. sure it's a spurious semantic argument really uh the fact is this was this was first and then it was put onto a cartridge but of course the only version that people were outside of nintendo were ever meant to hear was the version on the cartridge albeit with those audio compromises but if you see them that way as audio compromises or whether you see them as because just hearing that, as we have done, it still triggers a lot of the same memories and emotions as the regular version that we're used to, but it does it it's not the same. There in fact, <clears throat> you know, you can follow this hipster trail further by like when I played Super Mario World back in I was a few years late to it in ninety three, I think it was, or ninety four. Uh of course I played it plugged into what was then a fairly bog standard mono television so i listened to all the sound to this game just coming out of a tinny mono tv speaker uh is that the only way to listen to well, not, <laughs> to this music not, not the only or not the only way well you can you, you can say some obvious things one it's interesting to have this version you know like with the oh, yeah. golden eye oh, uncompressed that kind of yeah. leaked out mm-hmm. it's interesting from a game music perspective you're interested in composition around that time or chip tune or the, the history of it it's interesting if you're if it means a lot to you i think um super mario world doesn't mean very much to me i've kind of played it a bit over the years mm. or whatever but i doesn't um it doesn't mean a lot to me nostalgia wise mm. not like something like final fantasy 7 as everybody and their dog knows about me but but listening to it cold if i was to play if i was to find someone somewhere in the world who had never heard that piece of music there must be someone younger or whatever yeah. and you played that and then you, or you snuck it in amongst a kind of cheapo album of children's um <laughs> party music that's been done on midi and just shoved onto spotify um would they necessarily know the diff you know it's not it's not a live right, yeah. recording of an incredible no, band no. playing this this yeah. um, expansive and complicated piece of music, is it? It's a simple ditty um, made by a talented Japanese person in a in a sweaty office on a computer that then you know in a computer game company back in the before that computer game company was this kind of giant worldwide Disney kind of size brand almost. So in that way. Um, you might say that listening to the Super Nintendo version is probably does it some favors because of that compression and because of the the yeah. chip tune uh, vibe, I guess you'd say, rather than a super clean kind of cheap MIDI. Do you know what I mean? Or am I being yeah, too harsh on it? No, no, no. I do know what you mean. I mean, I, I, I think there's yeah, definitely pleasure and and. Uh, and there's reasons for listening to both, as you say. But I also, yeah, I think it's important to remember that it was absolutely composed and designed with that with that compression and the fact that most people would be listening to it 
out of a mono TV speaker in mind. Although uh, Super Nintendo did have stereo capabilities, of course. So when I play it on any of the any number of the modern setups I've got Super Mario World on, whether it's the Switch Online uh, client or the or my 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 SNES Mini, and in fact I started plugging my SNES into stereo speakers probably a couple of years after I I got it. Uh, so there's that, uh, you know, and but yeah, it's uh, I I do get I I do get what you mean. But that said, I think yeah, there is um, it's interesting hearing the the kind of the um, the pre-crushed version. It's, yeah, very interesting in that sense. I think as a as a, a fan going back to music, there is something to be said for format and frequencies and output device, um, where. So, so like anybody listen to those um, golden eye uncompressed ones mm. or this might have a weird thing in their head of like, oh, this isn't my nostalgic right. soundtrack and may yeah. actually prefer listening to the crushed up. Oh, for sure. One. Yeah. And yeah. I think back to like, you know, even the Beatles original, because the Beatles is a famous history of kind of remasters that would kick up a stink in the internet age yeah. of like yeah. stereo you know uh, the 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 red and blue boxes being programmed by Alan Klein their old manager and stereo, these horrendous stereo mixes where mm, everything's yeah. like super hard panned such that you yep. can barely listen to it with headphones it sounds really odd yes. uh, and people would swear by the original mono mixes on vinyl of those Beatles albums because that's what they were working towards and there's recently been a remaster of Abbey Road um, uh, that where everything's super clean and you can hear details in the mm. voices and the instruments that you couldn't really hear before. But yeah. but is that like you can listen to that as a Beatles fan and it'd be interesting to you, but are you going to choose to have that as the one you go back to when you want that nostalgic fix? Possibly not, or it might not give you that same feeling um you know when your favorite album from a kid on cd radiohead say okay computer or something then gets remastered much later um and you can listen to it in much greater fidelity is it losing something for you personally in that pro yeah, process yeah sure so. yeah i mean i even had this going back to because i listened to a lot of the music i listened to growing up was on cassette tape uh, because it was the most convenient and cheapest <laughs> format um of course it, you know in many ways it's a terrible format it was it would uh, d- deteriorate as soon as you started listening to it. You could just lose a, a t- an album that you'd spent 10 quid on because the tape chewed up. Uh, it was a lot of hiss. It was, yeah, it was nightmarish in many ways. But of course, when I started listening, re-listening to those albums on digital, there was all this detail came came popping out. But yeah, there was that sort of thing where sometimes I would miss the bit in the track where the tape used to kind yeah. of warp out. My first When I first got <laughs> Napster... And I downloaded True by Spandau Ballet. Don't ask me why. But <laughs> there was a there was a skip right near the climax of the song near the end. And I would look forward to that skip. And now when I hear it, you know, play it in front of the kids for kind of yeah. cheesy eighties um value. And the skip's not there, there's yeah. something wrong. Something yeah. feels wrong. Interesting. Now, uh another piece from a game of which I'm pretty much unaware or at least i was until putting this show together tell us all about uh, a monster's expedition or more specifically the music i uh, guess guess why i can't tell you about the game yeah because i haven't played it because it. it is another yeah. 
uh, and this wasn't a deliberate trend in the pick, my picks. No, but sure. it, I guess it says something about where I'm at with with what I'm actually able to keep up with in terms of like checking yeah. stuff out, um, ver- having young kids versus the time I have to spend to listen to soundtracks while working. Um, uh, Monsters Ex- Expedition, I believe it's an Apple Arcade and Steam thing. People yes. raved about it. I think Christian Donlan yeah. at Eurogamer raved about it. It's an open world puzzle game. It looks very mm-hmm. chill and um sort of uh, ghibli ish vibes and blue sky and green fields and that kind of thing at a, at a very cursory glance um so so people really love the game and um yeah I, I can't remember who recommended the soundtrack i think it was another i think it was a big composer or something i saw on twitter just said oh you know people really need to to get on this and uh eli rainsbury um has created well there's there's some longer ambient tracks uh, on the album, but there's also these short kind of um, beautiful uh, uh, late 60s, early 70s prog rock, nothingy, chill tracks where sort of nothing happens and they're just so gorgeous and relaxing and it's exactly what I need uh, at the moment in certain certain moments. Um, there's There's... If anyone's a Pink Floyd fan, if they even exist anymore, I'm sure there's plenty. Oh yeah, the um, the Floyd period between uh, Echoes, uh, between Medal and so everyone knows Dark Side of the Moon, but just before Dark Side of the Moon, they did a uh, film soundtrack called Obscured by Clouds. This mm. French art house film that's very very French and very very art house, and the soundtrack is so stoned out. Um, and it doesn't have that kind of focused structure and kind of anger and skewering that Dark Side of the Moon has. It's just it's just really stone guys, just sort of just whatever, just making some music Noodling. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love it, and the vibe is 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 brilliant for that, and um, that seems to to carry. I don't know whether uh, Eli Rainsbury is a fan of that period of Pink Floyd, but it just mm-hmm. really takes me back and really chills me out and again it's a game that's on my massive backlog i have apple arcade could easily download it tomorrow but it will be in a queue behind the 10 other apple arcade games that i'm failing to find time to to check out we really are um spoiled for choice at the moment and it's really difficult to to kind of keep up with some of these smaller games um just attention wise um, that 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 composer is also another game that I did actually start. If found, another of these indie games that that people raved about from recently, uh, and the composer collaborated with Tumelo, um, who's a sort of uh, another indie composer on the rise. Um, and that's a, as I understand it, really great soundtrack. I'm yet to to dig into it uh, properly, but um, I think people rave about the game and the soundtrack as well. For now, let's enjoy Moving Evergreens. Thank you. 
the game by Dracneck and Friends, a monster's expedition uh, that is not currently on Switch, despite what we said earlier about other games always being on Switch. Um, <laughs> but it does have an overwhelmingly positive rating from all reviewers on Steam from over 500 reviews. So it seems like one definitely worth checking out. It's on iOS, uh, as Tom said, but also PC and Mac. I'm guessing if it does well enough, it'll come over to consoles as well. And again, yeah, if you enjoyed the music, maybe check the game out too. I think those um, those Apple Arcade exclusives, well, Grindstone was a year, I think, maybe. Ah, uh, yeah, it might have a window yeah. of, of something like that possible. Now we have another recent piece from a recent game. This is requested by Richard from the forum, who says, I have just finished playing through Cyber Shadow, Mechanical Head Studio's love letter to hardcore ninja side-scrollers. Being published by Yacht Club Games was enough to make this a day one purchase for me, but I was impressed with how polished the game was, being developed mostly by a one-person team. The core gameplay will be familiar to anyone who played the 8-Bit Ninja Gaiden series back in the day, and the difficulty is on par with those games as well, which might be off-putting to some who might want a little more more hand-holding. But I was smitten from the start and enjoyed everything from the retro cutscenes to the hand-wringing difficulty. Similarly, the soundtrack by Enrique Martin is fantastic and captures the whole vibe of the game. This track, Mecha Dragon, is from one of the many epic boss battles in the game.
Cyber Shadow is the game. I played the first little opening section of that when it dropped on Game Pass recently. And uh, as our correspondence suggests, it is indeed a retro hardcore ninja side scroller. Uh, perhaps, yeah, it's been released by obviously Yacht Club, who are famous for Shovel Knight, which is a, a you know game which has its challenges. But this is uh, probably like a step up from that in terms of difficulty. But if you like those kinds of games, this is definitely one of those. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it feels like a very well made one. I didn't get to the point of over uh, over being overburdened with the difficulty uh, in the, in the opening hour or so. But um, I can see where it was headed. Because there were always just those few little bits where you thought, yeah, that's quite exacting for an opening kind of gambit from a game to say, yeah, you you need to learn this pattern and this pattern just to get through this bit. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, by the time I'm three or four hours into this game, it's going to be uh, it's going to be having me biting my controller and things like that. So I just um, had that experience with Horace in a very early okay, area and, yeah. and it set me back quite a long way after mm. one little slip. And that was quite frustrating. And so I don't know. That's put me off a tiny bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, Leon, you're a person of, of gaming experience, shall we say. And you yeah. remember the first time round, difficult games like this yeah. were, were out. What is it about them that <laughs> is difficult? Uh, what is it about them that you personally find enjoyable? And do you find going back to that with with modern game with modern retro games if you see what i mean like your shovel knights or whatever does that scratch a particular itch for you or do those games might as well just sit on i'm trying to trying to do they you know is playing shovel knight or something similar now just the same mm. experience as you were having back then or yeah. is it different because it's been such a long time since they were a bit in vogue yeah um I don't know. I mean, the, I guess we've now had, we've been back in the realms of this kind of game for quite a few years. I mean, Shovel Knight itself is best part of 10 years old at this, at this point. Uh, and they're, yeah, the sort of the second summer of love for Metroidvanias and other sort of similarly or, 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 yeah, or hardcore kind of platforming challenges were, it was all starting to come back in vogue. So I feel like there's a lot of these games, again, many of which I won't have played properly. Um, I suppose in terms of the difficulty, well, it always comes down to how fair the game is. And I think that's one thing that is mostly, for the most part, modern game design has learned to avoid many of the pitfalls that vintage games often fell into. Literally. Yeah, with frustrating, uh, you know, bits that would, uh, you know, stun lock you or or knock you backwards off platforms and all this kind of stuff um, that is now considered just bad games design so it's more uh it's more about asking the player to execute a very specific set of maneuvers within certain timing and and spatial windows and yeah whether i enjoy that is a very much a case-by-case basis it's going to depend on whether the everything else in the game is appealing to me whether the the combat or the shooting feels nice whether the uh whether the game looks and sounds great and stuff like this because yeah there are so many of them that you can now pretty much you can say you know they're all good in inverted commas in that they all work and they function and they're playable and you can complete them whereas you know i come from a time when games were often literally not (laughs) completable because they were broken or because they were fundamentally too hard for anyone but the person who programmed them to make them um but yeah i i don't know again in terms of 
that sort of looking backwards or forwards i've i've always sort of not really felt that that's me i just i don't know i, I obviously i'm aware of games influences and kind of where their lineages and how old they are physically but whether i'm enjoying something or not the the age doesn't really come into it but obviously yeah design trends and tropes kind of have have changed over the years but i was talking about uh celeste on our patreon monthly podcast today and how like i just didn't get on with that game because i found it too prescriptive mm. uh i i mean in that case i do like the music i do like the graphics uh and i like the developer's previous game enormously but for whatever reason, despite it clearly being much beloved and very well made for what it is, Celeste was just too much like you have to perform these exact actions in this exact sequence with these exact timings mm. to complete the screens. That's just not my quite my bag. Yeah. I prefer a game where you have a little bit more room for creativity, player agency, where you can improvise a bit more. That's my kind of main thing. If, if games are overly prescripted in terms to the point that they almost become like a rhythm action game. Um, no, uh, more like, no, not a rhythm action, QTE. Effectively, they become a very kind of long QTE because there's only one set of inputs that will get you through a game. Yeah. That's the point where I start to tune out a bit it's normally. It's funny you say that. I'm really taking a leap here, but I was talking on Sound of Play. We did the interview with Darren Corb. Yes. Um, the Hades composer, Supergiant composer, uh, we'll come to him again later, but he is a massive rock band nerd, like massive, yeah. massive, massive. He has his, That's his great. whole for kit so still set up. He's yeah. like got on the master level. He won a competition once for doing basically the sort of air guitar version. So cool like that such before. a gen genuinely brilliant <laughs> musician and singer was was such a big rock band person. I was too. I I, yeah. I still have all my kit. It's not set up because I don't oh, have I'm the space. Desperate. I need a drum kit. I need to get a drum kit, Leon. I've got to find one somewhere. Anyway, the 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 he absolutely says hundred percent. It improved his musicianship. Yeah, um, playing rock band and yeah. fed directly into the kind of stuff on Hades now. When you uh, get into guitar when you're 14 or 15 years old, one mm. of the favourite things to do is to learn riffs, right? Because riffs are just fun. They're fun to learn. You crap when you first learn them, but you go over mm. and over until you've got it in your fingers. And then you have to play it in sequence in a song. There are some bands like Dream Theater, whoever, who have like long sequences of riffs that put to put together and it's not dissimilar mm. to something like celeste where mm. there is some enjoyment i found celeste quite enjoyable in that way in that it was quite frustrating in certain places but you are learning an exact sequence and there is some it is a personal thing where you whether you like that but it did remind me of like learning difficult riffs on the guitar back in the day yeah um mm. And there is some fun to just being able to perform it over and over again. And of course, people can take that further with like speed runs or something where you are learning essentially, yeah. you know, the sequence yeah. of riffs in a longer yeah. string without stopping the same way that someone's going to master an insane rock band track on 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 mega difficulty. But um, that's really interesting. You say that about older games is just like just fundamental problems with the game breaking or being broken or the you know getting stun locked and stuff like that i can i can feel that frustration sort of raging through the uh through the ages um but but yeah. the obvious comedy question is when will there be a retro game about noughties <laughs> or teens retro games i think 
I think we're already are we there? I don't know. <laughs> Someone's going to make a, a shovel night, a, a retro game of shovel night. Yeah, I mean, you get you get these kind of games which are very. I saw somebody linked a game. There's a, I think it's a free game, possibly browser based, which is basically Celeste, but even kind of stripped back to fewer pixels and controls. Oh, you mean the Pico uh, Eight? No, that's made by them as well. There's the. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's actually in Celeste itself as well. There's a fair few levels. What's it called? It's called something like Celestini or something. I can't or? remember. If that's the one you're, you might be talking it about. Might, it version. might be something else. but um, There is a yeah. version of that. There's like an 8-bit version of the Celeste huh. okay. stuff with all new levels inside Celeste. And I don't know if they hmm. took that further with DLC or something. Oh, right. Hmm. Now we have our seventh track for the show and we'll be hearing here from a returning favourite, a guest of the show, former interviewee of mine kevin penkin and this is from uh necro barista tom so this is an indie game i have played hooray but only about an hour of um yeah. and it was on apple arcade it's one of those really well made um charming it's got that kind of very new hipstery vibe there's a little bit of kind of buffy vibe as well but but oh, yeah. more modern than that yeah of a, a, and the best thing about it it makes a really nice first impression because the dialogue system um is just really cool i'm trying to think how to best to describe it i haven't played oxen free so i don't know i can't speak to that style of mm-hmm. more modern uh, of kind of dialogue choices but basically as a kind of um, visual novel just you control the pace of the dialogue as you would do yes. in a visual novel, yeah. but instead of it just being two characters on either side of a screen and text on the bottom, um, the text is is kind of in the window. It's all very cinematic, and each time you or anime, I guess you'd say, and each time you press, there's some motion to the character. But you know, it's still a small budget indie, but they've just done, they've just made it really exciting to kind of click through the the conversations, and it's it's very full of character. Um, as far as that's concerned i don't think i've played enough to actually get to the gameplay per se um but i don't know if there is any or if it is just a visual novel with some so it's, a, it's a visual novel a, yeah a, a, a few extra bits but um there may be more to it than that uh, i didn't get that far but it's got a great soundtrack it really jumps out um the whole thing is just this really charming package um i think that is how that's what indies seem to be striving for to some degree is is just hitting you with the charm and hitting you with the the music right up front and trying to create a um cohesive uh, uh aesthetic package uh, and the other thing about necrobista it's got a really interesting uh kind of app icon there's the the picture of one of the main characters face and it just mm-hmm. sort of grabbed me the first time I saw it. I didn't know what the game was about. It's possibly something I might not have tried, but there's something about the art style and what how they've chosen to promote it as well that's quite um, grabbing. So I really recommend people um, just dive into it for a little bit and see if you see if you like it. The soundtrack is uh, um, a. I don't know much about the collaboration. It, I don't know whether they took turns on tracks or whatever. Um, Kevin, I've, I've met up with once. Lovely, lovely guy. He's massive yeah. in the anime world now. He's like absolutely yes, I know. slaying yeah. it. And I think Jeremy works with him in, on anime as well. Um, mm. 
they've got he does these uh, the Made in Abyss series or films. I don't know much about That's them. Right. They've got no. hawking soundtracks as well. Really yeah. dark, weird stuff. He's a he's incredible at like small ensemble stuff, and then like really rich dark electronics as well. And he can make a really cacophonous noise or a lovely piece of music like in Florence, the mobile game. Um, mm. So I really would love to just like pull him back to video games and away from anime because I don't really watch anime and I'm just never going to find time to watch those shows and enjoy his music in context. So uh, I'm desperate for Kevin to work on more um, games. So I was really pleased to to hear this one. And um, this particular track's just got these fun little piano runs and it's just a... Uh, I think it plays quite a lot in the first hour of Necro Barista. And uh, if you don't like this track, you might not like the game. I'll just say it's, it's quite a, that vibe is quite tightly, tightly knit. It's only a minute long, so uh, let's enjoy <laughs> it. Nostalgia Trip by Kevin Penkin uh, with assistance from Jeremy Lim from Necrobarista. That game is currently available on your PCs, your Macs and uh, your iOS. But later this year, at some point, I don't know if the, I don't think the date's been announced, but it is coming to both Switch and PlayStation 4. Well, that's good. And because that track was so short, we thought we'd uh, we'd let have Tom squeeze another one in. This is from a game which has uh, yeah, been on my list for a long time. Mm. Uh, came out in 2018. I couldn't believe it was uh, three years since I first thought, oh, that looks interesting. This was uh, Ardman Animations getting involved with uh, DigiZart. Is that how you say it? DigiXart? Yeah, so famous Ardman and uh, and a, a World War One tale, which um, obviously we covered uh, the other one. Title's gone. But, uh, Valiant Hearts. Valiant I, I Hearts, thank you. Valiant Hearts, yeah. But... Yes, as did I for the show. Yes, Valiant Hearts. So uh, this is another, well, in, in the, the small video game genre of uh, games that look at how awful World War One was. Yeah, and it's long enough ago that they, no one's interested enough in World, the problem with World War One is it was awful and not that many people are as interested in the history of it as World War Two, which was also awful, but World War One was just like, really really awful and just miserable to to kind of re-examine and we don't you know have as much history about it but it's weird isn't it that video games there seems to be this kind of double a thing that that companies go back to every now and again um i guess it's only happened twice i don't know if there's other world war one games particularly i'm sure there's some uh, like military strategy games again like double a kind of thing as well 
Mm. But uh, I've played a, a couple of hours of this. It is your classic double A arty game in that it kind of looks fantastic art style wise, but because it's a double A three D game, it's clunk a lunk to move around. Mm. And some of the kind of adventure puzzle mechanics are also quite clunky. Right. But because it's got the history layer over the top, you forgive it a lot. That that on the one hand, that's kind of like, yeah, during the marketing, you're like, oh, I should play that because I'm interested in history. It looks like they made a lot of effort to kind of make it, you know, it's important to remember World War One and explore art around it. And then that same thought kind of maybe delays you playing it because you're like, oh, I'm never really in the mood for a World War One mm. <laughs> game, film, book, whatever it is. Uh, and then it goes on sale for five quid and you're like, well, you know, it's about World War One. I. I can spend five quid. And then, um, yeah, I just happen, happen to put a couple of hours into it. But easily it could have dropped down the backlog like with you, Leon. But it is... I, it, I yeah. didn't realise it's actually the same director as Valiant Hearts. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Had a, I, I had never even managed to clock that. So, yeah. Had another crack at it. But um, the, the, the reason I picked this is because Olivier de Riviere, um, his stuff's probably turned up on Standard Play here and there. Oh, yeah. He is time, he yeah. is Mr. Uh, interactive Music. He is the, the most, I would say, cutting edge, proactive kind of composer, programmer type. Mm. He's constantly going on about it uh, online. Um, he does, he's done workshops and, and talks for the middleware people who make the software that sits between what a composer does and the game engine. Right. Um, so he's a real expert in that kind of stuff. Uh, and so when he does soundtracks, he really goes into a granular level. And he works in that double A space. Uh, he did Greedfall, uh, Va- Don't Nod's Vampire, um, mm. A Plague Tale, Innocence. Yeah. Um, so he really works in that realm. Um, weirdly, he was hired to do Streets of Rage 4, which is a very interesting yeah. hire. I don't know... It's odd. It's such a departure for him stylistically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like some of the tracks on that. I'm a massive yeah. fan of Streets of Rage 2. His Streets of Rage 4 stuff, a few of the tracks don't really hit the highs, I guess. Mm. It's an odd hiring. And, and, but um, as well as him doing all the technical stuff, and um, it, Get Even is a good example of a double A-ish game that I didn't really enjoy playing it, but the sound... And the, the music stuff is really incredible in it. Um, he's he's also a brilliant composer. Like the actual notes he puts down, you know, irregardless of all the implementation stuff, are also brilliant. He's got this kind of angular beauty about quite a lot of his music. Um, and he's just a super accomplished like orchestral and choral writer and stuff. So um, I listened to all of his Greedful stuff Playtale um, Vampire and there's just so much excellent music there as well as it being quite heady and some of it's quite weird and scratchy and sounds like a video game soundtrack snippet or whatever Um, but this is just a a really uplifting um, piece and the music really lifts the game as well from what little I've played of it so far.
That was The Sounds of Harry's Voyage by Olivier de Rivière from 1111 Memories Retold. They keep giving those really strange names, don't they? It doesn't really help. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, I mean, the 1111 makes sense, but um, it's, yeah, I'm, I, I'm finding it, I, I think it's partially age and partially just more and more data, but I am finding it increasingly hard to remember game titles, <laughs> uh, especially those from that sort of, you know, the last few years. Yeah. Uh, because it just feels like I'm just trying to absorb more than I can possibly uh, <laughs> hold in my head. Is it all this? Is it all the colons and the subtitles? Possibly, yeah. I think it's partly that and partly just, yeah. Uh, it's all about mononyms. It's all about necrobarista, mm. you know, braid, Hades, limbo, mm. inside. You just need yourself a really good mononym. I think it does help. But. I mean, I was going to say there are a limited number of those, but actually there's quite a lot of words. words. In there. But, but, but having said that, there have been a few titles used more than once now. So, Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, I thought there were two Outriders. I'm confused by that now. Yeah, that's, that's one that won't sit in my head, the name of that game. That's, uh, that's one that I just keep thinking that thing that people are talking about. Yeah, yeah I, quite... I guess something like Anthem is, is for all the wrong reasons because it, it sort of doesn't speak to what kind of game it is or whatever. Yeah. I actually think that could be a good title for a different game. Yes. I quite yeah, like yeah. I quite like the word and what it means, but for a for a yeah, rather a bit of a damp squib of a multiplayer thing didn't yeah, didn't resonate. And now the now the title is gone. Yeah. So Well they're they're best <laughs> at two names, aren't they? Dragon Age, Mass Effect. That's what they should stick to. Yeah. <laughs> Now we got some electronica for you from the Australian group Power Glove, who did the music for Blood Dragon, which was the Far Cry 3 uh, adjunct kind of spin-off guide in. Gingertastic01 from the forum requested this, saying, I love this game. Everything from the visual style, the sound, Michael Bean, and of course the music. It's like they looked into my brain and took all the things that made up my childhood and put them in one great game.
That was The Blood Dragon Theme by Power Glove. I'm not sure if Power Glove have done any other game stuff. Obviously, there's just so many talented uh, electronica and synthwave and all those related genres or uh, artists around that um i don't know i it's, um i get the like impression the game titles i'm guessing that they were they're like a you know music and audio duo that work in trailers and film and that kind of thing and that they only came could together well for this project maybe or something i could be totally uh, okay. wrong about that but uh that this is like a side project of theirs and they work you know in audio and set music which is why they're able to kind of like perfectly ape that mm. style i don't know if no that does sound that does sound right yeah, yeah. i don't know if they're yes. a group that was do- they might have been a, like a, it might have been a side project that was already going before the game and that mm. they got hired yeah. because they were doing that pastiche mm. uh, uh 80s stuff but <laughs> it is great well, the year is 2007 it is the future <laughs> it is the future yeah yeah that was a but yes that was a fun that was a fun. Uh, they started getting a bit heady with the like the primal and the new dawn mm. and stuff. You you do mm. you feel like Ubisoft going strange is quite fun, and uh, they could do it quite well. Yeah, they've 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 had some interesting uh, outside of the 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 normal big franchises um, products over the years. Um, but yeah, we're generally we're we're not we're not covering any Ubisoft games in the forthcoming year of the podcast. Although we obviously we just played a track, but uh, just because we're still waiting for them to adequately address and resolve <laughs> the many issues at that mm. studio. Uh, although I've said that, having said that, not only did we play that track, Jay and I also talked about the Division Two again today on on uh, on the Patreon monthly podcast. So yeah, uh, there we there we go. Uh, well, thanks, Tom, once again for coming back. No on worries. the sound of play and thank you to editor jay for stitching it all together and we're going to leave you with a it's a it's a number we featured more than once before but not this version and uh, always always a treat so tell us why you brought this one to close the show so um anyone who's been listening along as i mentioned earlier we did the interview with darren corp for sound of play um which was just a brilliant interview loads of fun laughed all the way through it um i uh there's it's my relationship to his music is sort of intertwined with kane and rinse a tiny bit because Mm. i went to um super giant gig yes music gig concert in a room with With other human beings back in gosh january 2020 maybe maybe february i can't remember right just before the before it all really started to kick off pandemic wise yeah yeah Yeah. and um i i ran into a fellow cane and rinse member josh there um and uh, we just had a great time and good memories of that it might have been the last gig i've i went to i can't remember I, quite know, likely years of going to gigs and being a musician playing at gigs you know completely dried up now but um the uh, Darren Corb played songs from across the Supergiant thing, and there were loads of Supergiant fans there. Now, I am a, I, at the time, I was a tourist Supergiant fan. I'd only mm. beaten Bastion, but years later on the Vita, and I kind of liked it okay. I beat it, but you know, you can kind of beat their games and not necessarily have scratched that deeply into them. And I know there's the, you know, even 
bastion there's ways of extending it and making it harder and really digging into it um yeah. and i i thought highly of the soundtrack uh that kind of trip hoppy thing and then for some reason i never felt like playing transistor or pyre i don't know why i think i was slightly put off by there was something about the super giant aesthetic at the time that didn't uh, game wise game design wise that didn't grab me all that much even though i yeah. really enjoyed the transistor soundtrack back in the day um and i just had the game installed for ages and just never quite got around to playing it wasn't that really interested in pyre maybe it went onto a wish list here and there and then hades came along and 60 hours of hades later and having rolled right. rolled the credits on that and you know fell in love with the soundtrack listened to it a lot obviously for the interview um and just sort of put my head into Supergiant World and Darren Corbland and really just thought about the music and their history and stuff. So I really brought myself up to date, I feel like. Um, and I'm I'm bang up, you know, bang on whatever they do next, obviously. But uh, I hadn't checked out this um, arrangements album they did. So at the end of Hades, which I won't spoil, there's a uh, some beautiful orchestral music, I guess that's a minor music spoiler, that they recorded at Abbey Road because there was a sort of time, I think December 2019, loads of people like Austin Wintery, Darren Call, there were loads of people around Abbey Road recording different stuff. It must have been The Pathless, I guess. I don't really know. Um, this is, a, I think they they wanted to do something with these arrangements they did for PAX. I might be getting the timeline yeah. a bit wrong, these orchestral arrangements by someone else, but uh, Austin Wintery wanted to be the conductor for the sessions yeah. and he decided to step in and be the conductor for the session for this um 10th anniversary orchestral collection of supergiant songs and um for a start it's lovely to have those you know have a game company make see mononyms mononyms it works a series of games with more or less the same stable team um more or less a sort of uh, at a glance a similar visual style um even though the games are different but they're sort of i guess you say in the same universe as it were same composer and then like you know a band making concept albums or whatever he can build on the music from game to game and actually when it gets to 10 years look back and it's like oh we've had all of these songs in these games and we can actually package this up as an as a really great album that that speaks to music fans and it speaks to fans of super giant games and this just this sort of big rich loving you know um mm. but the music's great as well so it's not just a fan it's not just a kind of a nostalgia thing and um this arrangement of of paper boats i just could not stop listening to it after i'd finished editing the interview and um reminded myself and at the gig Back in January or February, um, I was reminded of how beautiful this song is because Ashley Barrett was singing on stage and it's just got this this killer chorus hook that just slays me. Mm. And then I was reminded of that after the interview, going back to this album. Um, this this arrangement, just the last minute of it, if it doesn't bring you to tears or just like tear your heart apart, apart I don't know if you're human, um, I listen to this every single day for at least like two, three weeks. 
um, around December, which was not a particularly happy time in winter, you know, lockdown and pandemic and all of that pressure and stuff. And I'd listen to this kind of last thing at night, every night. And it just got me every single time. It's so beautiful. Um, it starts off uh, a quite angular arrangement, quite awkward for the orchestra to, to play, actually. Mm. But it finishes this huge, grand thing. So, yeah, I really want people to stick around to the end of this track um, and enjoy the emotion of it. I'm sure most of most of our Sound of Play listeners usually stick to the end, except when it's a track they really hate. Maybe that <laughs> happens. <laughs> I can forgive you. Uh, anyway, yes, thanks again, Tom. And we'll leave you, listener, with Paper Boats from the Songs of Supergiant Games 10th Anniversary Orchestral Collection by, of course, Darren Corb with the vocal by Ashley Barrett and Darren himself. And we'll see you next time on Sound of Play. Falling from 